Movies and Booze. I'm Moncrief on News Talk. Yes, it is in uh, actually time for Movies and Booze. Once again, we are joined by Dean McGuinness, uh, Fanula Jones and Esther McCarthy. Good afternoon to you all. Hello. Hi, guys. Hi, Sean. Uh, everyone's here in attendance. That's, uh, that's good to know. Uh, Dean, uh, now I read the other day, Dean, that uh, someone's saying that dry January is like Lent for Generation Z. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, And even as it was coming back into the studio, I heard people saying, oh, you only, only lasted a day. So it's, it's everywhere, this particular. Now, because now you're a completely impartial source on any of this so you recommend people keep drinking well, well I, I came across the term damp January, which I thought <laughs> slightly <laughs> soggy January. It's good, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but now my my argument is that you've kind of, if you think of it in terms of boxing exercise, you've got two choices. You can be a heavyweight boxer who goes into a ring, gets battered to hell, and then has to take two weeks off before they can do their next heavyweight fight, or you can just do boxer size on an on an ongoing basis and get really fit and not have anybody batter you to hell. So, my recommendation is that. You do one a week annually for January, and it's one beer a week for the month. Just the of one January. beer. Just one beer. Yeah. So then it has to be a special beer. So basically, we're teaching people how to cut back on drinking. <laughs> <laughs> this is so disingenuous. This is one beer. The one, the one we're going to try now is that what she'd really call it is why are you asleep on the kitchen floor? <laughs> so we're teaching people to cut back on drinking by drinking a 12% Imperial Russian Stout and a 10.5% Belgian Ale. No. Now it's 12%. So, like, does that have any actual... You know the way, like, they tax alcohol based on, on the ABV? Does, is there an implication for the, for yeah. the stout? Then? Yeah, you're, you're looking at over five euros a bottle for a 330 milliliter bottle. It's up around yeah. five sixty six euros a bottle. Uh, basically, the the uh, tax is directly proportional to the alcohol content, so it would have three times the tax as a, a yes. normal beer would have. And then you've got VAT on top of that as well, so they charge VAT, they charge tax on the tax just to hit us twice. Right, OK, so so anyway, listeners can look forward to us uh, losing uh, the power of use of language uh, later on as we go on through the show. Uh, in the meantime, Esther, Sam Mendes directs another poignant blah, blah, blah. Uh, is this any great surprise? <laughs> a bit like that. I like Dean's um, tactics, first of all. Dean, I wonder, does it, do they apply to wine as well? Like if you Absolutely. only drink really posh wine, is that a damp... January then. No, well, Amanda in Limerick says, I'm totally into dry January. Sauvignon Blanc is dry, right? Yes, so there you go. <laughs> that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, it is. Look, this is really good. Um, I really liked it. It's probably the best I've seen from Olivia Coleman since The Favourite, um, which okay. was just delightfully nuts. Uh, but it is, look, it is another January sad Sam Mendes award season movie. Yeah, I can't deny it. Right. Set in the cinema in Hastings. Uh, in, in soggy Hastings in the 1980s just as the turn it has Jesus. a really interesting p- <laughs> am I selling it? Oh, yeah you really are yeah, it's, it's set in Drogheda on Good Friday it's really <laughs> it, <laughs> you'd be in trouble for saying that um, it's, yeah so it's set in Hastings in 1980 just as Thatcher is a kind of risen to power in Tory England so he, I think he's saying a lot of stuff pertaining to what's going on in England right now through the prison of that kind of um, period film, which a lot of filmmakers have kind of done re- in recent years, actually. Right. Okay. Uh, and uh, the uh, Anthony bon- uh, Banderas and and the, that Puss in Boots film is out still at the moment, so he's uh, having a good run. But this is more like a bog standard shoot 'em up stuff. The Enforcer, is it? 
It is bog standard is the word. I mean, I would watch Antonio Banderas uh, recite the Angelus. Okay, so I am a big fan. I prefer Spanish Antonio Banderas uh, to English language Antonio Banderas the same way as I do Penelope Cruz. Um, But we'll talk a little bit about that later. And I think what he's doing here maybe is he's having kind of a middle-aged Liam Neeson career crisis where he's gone... You know what? This is my shot at being an action hero. I'm going to try and uh, do the whole action hero thing. So, you know, it's grand. It's good looking. It's uh, it thinks it's more original than it actually is, but it's actually quite well acted. Okay. Characters are quite well drawn in it. So we'll talk a bit more about that. Right. Okay. And it's got nudity and sexual content. Just, I'm just saying, that. not that that's relevant in any in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, uh, so you just happen to bring it up. If you're, you're just sitting at home with your twelve percent beer, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, and right, Fanula. Uh, and now, a couple of stories about, I suppose, things ending. Dave Batusa says uh, he's exiting the Guardians. Of the, does that mean Guardians of the Galaxy is all over now? Oh, don't ask me that because I don't have enough Marvel knowledge. I'm sure they'll pop up in 1,800 other ones, you know what I mean? But yeah, he is officially leaving the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He plays Drax um, and he's due to appear in the upcoming third Guardians of the Galaxy. And he's kind of said that it was, you know, it's a bit of a relief because there's a lot of like makeup involved. And to be honest, I think he's kind of treading a different path in comparison to his other like wrestler turned actor counterparts. If you look at like... The Rock, or obviously he's very like action, and I know he's gone in the superhero route recently, but he's very like action, blockbuster, like Jumanji kind of guaranteed money nearly always, Bar Black Adam, or even like John Cena. Now, John Cena kind of went nearly another way. He does more comedy, and it actually kind of. Well, Dave Producer was funny in this in this role. Like, he was a big like meathead, but like he used to come out with these like very deadpan statements that were often hilarious. Yeah, but he yeah. seems to be wanting to do kind of other things. Like, obviously, he's in. No, I haven't seen Glass Onion. Have you yeah, seen Glass he, Onion? No, I haven't, but. Yeah, supposed yeah. to be good maybe not as good as Knives Out Dean is <laughs> nodding uh, furiously he's in an upcoming is it, as good, as, night, is it as good it, it is good yeah it's, it's solid it's, it's um, uh, taking the mickey out of uh, influencers um, right okay. yeah I've seen you Kate know, Hudson kind of, like plays a typical yeah. she's getting a lot of praise for her role yeah. in particular is, is that cruel taking the mickey out of influencers I, yeah absolutely taking the mickey out of me uh, how many followers on Instagram you want no comment um, but he's doing he's working with M. Night Shyamalan I, that's coming out in February uh, knock the cabin it's called it's kind of his biggest role yet but yeah he's basically just said like he said previously that he wishes that Marvel kind of built on the Drax character a bit more and he was a bit frustrated with that but yeah like I think he's kind of I think we're going to see a trend of people not signing up for the superhero movies or perhaps people like actively trying to leave to do oh, more gosh. this could be that this could stuff. be the end of the whole thing then maybe. I mean will it ever end I feel like there's always going to be an audience for it but I think maybe th- maybe this is the start of it as well from an actor's like working perspective I don't know but yeah yeah and uh, now, uh, 1899, I do. I must say, I was completely unaware of it until they asked it. And then I saw people giving out about that this on is Twitter. Thing. So was I. So it's like this German kind of drama series was on Netflix in November. Follows the story of a group of European migrants bound for a new life in New York in 1899, as you would guess. And um, they're on this ship and then things take a turn when they discover this kind of similar migrant ship abandoned. And it's like a drift at sea. Got really good reviews. Uh, like Stephen King came out and said that he loved the series. Um, 
Um, but basically, yeah, it hasn't been renewed. Fans are outraged. I was the exact same as you. I was seeing it pop up everywhere that it was like, fans are outraged that it hasn't been renewed, blah, blah, blah. And here's this petition, blah, blah, blah. But the thing is with Netflix, we don't even actually know how many people watched it because they're so cagey about mm. their viewing figures and they never, now, no network comes out and says when something did badly, but we only ever hear about the things that like smash records like Wednesday or the likes of Stranger Things or whatever. Um, but I think the thing was is the showrunners came out and said uh, they're behind the people who did Dark, which was very highly acclaimed as well. Yeah. And I think it's still going open to correction on that. But they had been working out, like it, the seri- the season ends on a massive cliffhanger and they've been working out oh. the plot for season two. So I think that's why people are particularly like up in arms about it. Will the petition do anything? I don't know. Like thousands of people have signed this change.org position, uh, petition. Don't actually really know if it that will set anything into motion really in terms of it coming back to Netflix. But, yeah, but yeah. Nef- has Netflix given a specific reason why they've accessed it? No. 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 They just suppose they don't have to. No, they don't have to. Yeah. It's, they're like everyone's parents then. Yeah. It's just because I said so. And again, it is the thing of like, did people, like, it's good, okay, grand if it was reviewed very well, but did people actually watch it? We'll never know because they'll never tell us. Is yeah. It's just the vocal minority again being like, why did you cancel this? Blah, 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 whatever. I suppose it is just a bit quick as well when it did just land on the streamer in November for a decision to be made on a season yeah. two already. Well, they wouldn't ask it if people were watching it, I suppose. That's, I don't know. And then is it just like, is it just a thing to get people talking? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, it's, I don't know. Maybe it's because, I know my judge just general impression that the people on Twitter giving out about the maxing it seem to be kind of literary pointy-headed types. For, okay. Uh, uh, um, so maybe it's that. Maybe that, that, that Netflix experimented with the idea of something, making something a bit more... Uh, cultural or rounded as opposed or, to like Emily in Paris again <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. so uh, or you know teenagers doing stuff yeah uh, um, uh, and maybe that was the they wanted to make a grown up drama and it just didn't work out for yeah them. perhaps yeah. we'll see yeah. we'll see uh, someone says Glass Onion is not as good as Knives Out because it was such an unexpected film, but very entertaining nonetheless. Well, that's fair enough. I've heard that argument yeah. that that was kind of the magic of the first one, and then, yeah. then it's kind of lost when it becomes this Netflix yeah, it becomes thing, kind of a and you have all these big stars already signed up to it. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, can you ask Dean if he's had any Western herd beers? Yes, I have. Um, I w- was involved in a, a beer competition that they did during uh, lockdown. They um, invited some people in and then they uh, brewed the, the winning home-brewed beer. They've done a range of different beers. Um, um, this person says flora and fauna. It packs quite a punch. Yeah, and Ten they, hops. they do one. Uh, I'm, it's it's uh, a beer with jumper in the name, I think, Blue Jumper, and it's a play on the Father Ted thing. Um, mm, yes. Yes, uh, I remember that day. You're wearing a blade jumper, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, they, they've, they've done a, a range of good beers down there. Yeah, they, they're doing a great job. Right, yeah. okay, fantastic. Right, so brace yourselves. Uh, we're we're, we're, we're going to go in now. This is the uh, this is the Russian... Now, I should point out that I want to say Russian stout. Dean isn't, like, flying to some dodgy part of Central <laughs> Europe and avoiding sanctions. Uh, Russian stout is a style of beer. It is, yeah. It's originally a UK style of beer, so it was originally brewed ah. in the UK. Uh, and uh, a brewer in the UK, uh, uh, a good friend, did an interesting thing where he went around to um, eight or nine different breweries, asked them all to brew an Imperial Russian stout. And then he put it into a yacht and he sailed it on the route that the beer that was originally sent to Catherine the Great in Russia 
went on. Uh, that's how it became Imperial Russian Stout. Basically, right. it, was really, okay. it was sent to, to the court of Catherine the Great. Um, so he did uh, nine different uh, batches with nine different breweries, put them into casks, uh, put it into a yacht, and at least half of the beer made it to <laughs> the other side. <laughs> the destination. That, that yacht is somewhat higher in the water than it was when we last saw it. This one is particularly strong. Anytime you see Imperial, uh, you're talking about a strong beer, normally 8 to 10%. This is 12. Right. Um, is that what Imperial means? It, it, yeah. Um, when when you've got imperial, it's it's like telling imperial you that leather. the yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, soap will get you out of your you, face. You find when you're using imperial leather soap that your knees feel a bit more wobbly in the yeah. shower. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, it's ten percent normally, twelve percent for this one. Uh, yeast has difficulty going over fifteen, seventeen percent um, because basically it's producing alcohol, and then that alcohol actually inhibits the action of the yeast. So this is quite a high level uh, for a beer. Now, in terms of flavour, th- this is a wonderful one. We were doing a tasting last night with uh, we. We have a number of uh, beer sommelier that work together and we were kind of all tasting together. And what I found with this one was that we kind of went on a little flavour journey through three different things. The first one was kind of roast coffee. So it was uh, espresso, a bit of vanilla, um, uh, uh, really fresh roast coffee grounds, um, all those types of flavours and, and uh, toasted marshmallows. Then it went on to chocolate and nuts, so kind of chocolate, hazelnut, walnut, toasted peanut, mm. and uh, it was kind of reminiscent of a Ferrero Rocher. And then when you get about two-thirds of the way down the bottle, what you started finding, or maybe it was just the fumes go- going past my eyes, were, I don't know if you remember those um, uh, liqueur sweets that were popular maybe 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah. You'd bite into them and then they would just seep loads that, of You liquid. know, that's actually, that's funny because when I first sipped it, it reminded me, do you remember you used to bring in uh, the chocolate stout? It yeah. was kind of reminded me of that somewhere. There was that little yeah, bang yeah. of sweetness off it. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's a thing. And what we found was kind of, you know, when you bite into these liqueur sweets, you get this uh, uh, rush of liqueur into your mouth and then there's a little bit of cherry in the sweet as well. So mm. you're getting kind of fruitiness. Now there's also, which is is kind of three or four steps down the line, chocolate and banana. So again, the uh, foam bananas that you used to get as a kid covered in chocolate. Uh, so they still th- have them. They're lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they are beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what we found with this, just uh, each time you went back for a sip, it was a new beer. So I was kind of thinking with both of these beers, it's kind of like if you could have one beer a week, this is about 14 different beers in one. Uh, yeah, because you're getting also a the, 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 the smell of it is, is very, you know, it's, it's very full when you stick your nose in the glass. Yeah, incredibly rich. It's, it's, it's suddenly animated about the whole thing. <laughs> you know, <two> <laughs> <sips>. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely beautiful. Beautiful beers. I, I got to go back to to Brussels uh, again this year. Uh, it was an annual pr- pilgrimage to the Brussels Beer Festival every year, but uh, COVID. Uh, knocked it on its head for a few years and they've re-established the, the Brussels Beer Festival so these two beers were, were beers that stood out um, they have the festival in yeah. the ground class beautiful setting. and to get it to 12% do they have to do something additional to it? they use a, a, they select a special type of yeast that's alcohol tolerant so uh, basically if you imagine working in this studio and the more you worked the more it filled from the ground up with alcohol you'd be okay as long as that's the alcohol nice. what I'd do today <laughs> <laughs> You'd be okay as long as the alcohol was about waist level, but once it goes above mouth level, you start having difficulty because now you're drinking the alcohol as as you do it. It's basically the same thing with yeast. It's producing the alcohol and it can deal with around three, four, five, six, seven percent without much difficulty. Um, But the alcohol is actually toxic to the yeast. So as it it gets higher, you need uh, a a type of yeast that is able to resist the impact of the alcohol on its operation. It it can basically continue to work while intoxicated, which is quite impressive. (laughs) So how 
how how big is are, are the bottles of this? They're, they're a standard size bottle, so a three hundred and thirty milliliter bottle. Right. Okay. Um, now, if you think about it, and again, this is like you, you regularly get shocked. If if I said to somebody, I'm giving you a ten point five percent wine or a twelve percent wine, they'd kind of go, "Why isn't it thirteen percent?" Yeah. No. Absolutely. No. I'm, I'm just kind of making that a quick. Like, so it's like half a bottle of wine. Yeah, is it? A, yeah. a little bit less. Forty four percent of a bottle of wine. Yeah. I did the sums. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay. An interesting well, there you person. go. So that's that's <laughs> that's your one beer a week. Uh, yeah, so that's yeah. okay. Fair uh, enough. No, yeah. not your cover is if if you have a, a New Year's resolution. Uh, no. If you drink to excess, uh, your liver is designed to filter alcohol. It will filter alcohol quite efficiently, but at a specific rate. Mm. So it will filter approximately one unit of alcohol an hour. So that's about a half pint of standard strength beer or a small glass of wine or a small shot of of spirits. Uh, Our shots in Ireland tend to be a little bit bigger. Not quite sure why. Um, So uh, if you've got uh, a situation where you're drinking lots of alcohol, you're liver gets overwhelmed and then you're, you're you do damage yeah. to, 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 to your liver. The logic of dry January is that you're giving yourself a break to get over that damage and your, mm. your liver is regenerating itself. Now, if you do exercise, that also helps to improve the, the health of your liver. So if you were to say to yourself, I'm doing three exercise sessions a week and as a reward, I'm having a beer at the end of the week. For me, I would be more motivated to do the three exercise sessions. So I reckon... How much exercise are we talking about? Uh, probably about five minutes <laughs> walk in my case yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> okay alright that's grand so yeah. I mean you can actually yeah. walk to the off license oh. that would count as one of your three three a week from upstairs down to the fridge where the yeah. beer was stored and then yes. upstairs jump again. up and down uh, when you're, yeah, no, you're born you, you would be healthier at the end of January I argue right yeah <laughs> <laughs> we must put a revise of take no advice from this man whatsoever uh, Mark says glass onion is much better than knives out knives out was too self-aware smug and up its own back Backside glass on you, a much better farcical detective romp in its own right, uh, uh, says Mark. Uh, Angela uh, says, um, the, No, Carmagua has a question for you, Dean. Uh, just on this one beer a week thing, uh, would that mean I can have six cans of one beer, or is one beer more literal than that? <laughs> it's, it's, it's volume terms, one yeah. beer a week is the logic. But yeah. I imagine, though, like a bottle of what you've just told us about is not, not too far <laughs> off your six cans, Cormac. Uh, and uh, Angela says, Am I the only one who would like to see the enormously talented Olivia Coleman play a crime boss or a sex kitten, something other than a sad sack? Mm. Mm, yeah, she yeah. has been very, I don't want to use the word typecast, but it is, a there's been a lot of roles that she's, that's basically just been her the last yeah. definitely year or so, yeah. Yeah. Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. Right, that's uh, uh, the uh, uh, that's the first of our uh, movies that we're talking about today. That is called Empire of Light. Uh, that was uh, Olivia Colman there, and I think Michael Ward uh, talking to him there. Now, uh, Esther, clear, uh, clear something up for us because uh, Dean McGinnis was saying during the break. Now he's full of Russian stout, so uh, you don't have to take this seriously. <laughs> but he 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 says there's like sexy times in this film. Is that the case? I will put forward the notion, actually, the theory that Olivia Colman is a sort of a kind of a sad sex kitten. I'd call her. Okay, okay, that's good, there you go. um, Yeah, she's uh, both having an affair with her boss, who's played by Colin Firth, and um, has had a romance getting going with uh, Michael Ward. Now, I haven't seen Top Guy, but so I was going, who is this um, top boy even? My apologies. Um, I was going, who is this actor? He's so charismatic and handsome and really talented. Uh, and that's where people may know him if they're a fan of that series. I know it has a good fan base, but he's really, really good in this. And he 
kind of takes a liking to her. She's, so she is in um, a duty manager in this old school cinema in uh, Margate. It's, well, it's, it's not set in Margate, but it's shot in Margate and set in Kent in a kind of anonymous town. Um, it's a beautiful building, but it's kind of a faded grandeur. Even in 1980, two of the screens are no longer used. Um, and she runs the cinema with her boss, who's kind of um, taken advantage really of his control over her and his power over her. Like she is has long since lost interest in having an, an affair with him. Um, she's long since lost interest in most things, unfortunately, Jean, because she's quite a depressed character. She's, you know, she lives on her own. We learn in an early medical assessment that she's on pretty strong antidepressants. And um, she just she just feels like life is passing her by. Now, she has a nice community of colleagues in the cinema. There are kind of a few characters in there. Um, and this guy joins this um, young man played by Michael Ward, joins the, the cinema as a member of staff. And of course, everyone's going, oh, my God, he is so handsome. But he actually starts taking interest in her. Mm. Um, and that's that's kind of nice. And it's set then, I suppose, they have a fairly passionate affair and you know which is always a little bit you know where is this going to end up not to be narrow minded about it but like he's a young man and she's an older woman she has a lot of baggage and a lot of issues so you are going like what's going to happen here um but then what I liked about this film, what gets really interesting, I think, is it's set against a kind of political backdrop. So because it's a small town, it feels kind of otherworldly. It feels like cosseted from the rest of the world. But I suppose the rest of the world then comes in in a really kind of loss of innocence kind of way um, and, and arrives at the door literally of the cinema because it's um, set in 1980. Margaret Thatcher's just been elected to power um, and there's increasing social rest and, and civil unrest, social and civil unrest and uh, growth in far right groups. So, so far, so now <laughs> it feels very, you know, that this was written to make a statement of we have by Sam Mendes, who, who wrote mm. as well as directed here unusually um, to make a statement of what have we done in Britain? What's going on in post Brexit Britain? What's going on politically? Um, not just in Britain, but in many countries. And I think that's kind of all very interesting to look at it through the prism of, you know, here we go making the same mistakes again, lads, you know. But the romance between them are, you know, he's he's one of, so he's from Trinidad and his mother moved um, and they lived together, um, Stephen Ward's, or Michael Ward's character. And he is, his name is Stephen actually in the film. And he's one of the kind of 1980s first generation immigrants and he's moved across um, the world with his mother at kind of, you know, he he's there's a sense of dread building with him, I suppose, because there's a group, group of local skinheads and thugs who are kind of trying to wind him up on a regular basis. And he's a very dignified kind of character, really smart as well. So, you know, he's well able for them in a way, which is nice to see rather than victimization of a character like that, that we often see on screen. Um, so. You know, when he starts to show an interest in Hillary, then she, she, you know, Olivia Coleman's character, she experiences this sense of feeling alive again. Um, but also she is kind of seeing her world through the eyes of someone who is struggling in it. And I think that's kind of what's really interesting in the film. Um, it's, you know, it's not autobiographical. Like we have Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans coming out at the end of January and that's very much about his own family and it's a very intimate tale of his own family and just some some extraordinary things that happened in that marriage. 
Uh, but this one's not autobiographical, but what I think is really interesting about it is it's very personal to Sam Mendes because his own mother would have struggled with mental health issues um, and she raised him as an only child as well. So he got to grow up, I think, seeing very much the, the pain of that, you know. Mm. And I think Olivia Cohn is brilliant in it. She's, it's as good a performance as I've seen from her. But it's really sad. It re- and I know it's the first week of January, so I kind of have to flag that to people, you know. I, as someone who quite likes sad movies, I do like, you know, wallowing with a cup, packet of hankies at, at something. By the way, um, Af- After Sun is, is streaming from today, one of the very best films of the last year. Uh, it's out streaming on movie from today. I have to give that a mention. But again, it's really sad. And I don't, I don't know. Have sad movies gone out of favour or something, Sean? Because it, it doesn't always seem like people wanted to run away from sad stuff. Or, you know, what's your take on that? I think there's plenty of sad movies around. It's just the world is so feckin' sad a lot of the time that uh, um, maybe occasionally one might need to escape from that. Uh, um. Yeah, you see, I think it's the times we live in. I think people are more wary about dipping a toe into to a sad movie that feels less escapist maybe than it used yes, to. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Right. But okay. I, I really liked this. Now it is a bit hit and miss. Um oh. it does it has kind of four endings that you know, you kind of go, Oh no, 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 when you decide what ending you're going for here now because just a little bit more shrewd editing I think would have made it even good better. But I really liked the political backdrop thing, the loss of innocence thing, and the two lead performances are excellent in it. I have to say, I did like it. Yeah, are we uh, are we is it awards fodder here? Well, the Baftas came out today. Uh, the long list for the Baftas came out today. It wasn't on as many as I might have expected. It definitely mm. was up there. Roger Deakins, of course, uh, the, the brilliant, brilliant cinematographer, has you know probably the best of all time. Has got a nomination nomination for it, and I think you, you'll see that certainly in the Oscars. But it seems to be slipping out of award season um, chatter a little bit. Um, right. Now it's a long, a long way to go yet to, to March and the Oscars, but it just yeah, other little things seem to be overtaking it a bit. Yeah. Right. Okay. Sounds brilliant, but Downsville, Arizona. Maybe it not. Totally maybe not a good one for dry January. Uh, I, I would have thought. Uh, just going back to take Dean's approach to dry January, of course. Yes. Fine. <laughs> uh, um, uh, and going, just going back to shows being cancelled. Robert on Twitter says, and he makes an interesting point. He says he's furious that Netflix cancelled Mindhunter and Narcos Mexico. Uh, plenty of people watch those shows, but he says, is there any point starting a new show? with the fear that they might bin it. Yeah, that's a fair point. And yeah. Netflix are kind of the worst offenders in that. All of their shows tend to run short, if that makes sense, season-wise. Like, I don't think anything ever really gets over. Now, there are obviously going to be exceptions. I don't know them off the top of my head. But most things run, like, four to five seasons max, mm. if you notice, before it's, like, wrapped or cancelled, which I think is good in one sense, because things aren't, like drawn out a la like a Game of Thrones or again there's loads of other examples but yeah it can be quite frustrating and again I can imagine I can understand why the 1899 fans are cancelled especially when stuff is left on a massive cliffhanger as this series was frustrating to say the least and Mindhunter is a great example as well because I I fell off that after the first season but I did enjoy it just never came back to it but again when that was cancelled people were up in arms so yeah 
Right, uh, uh, now, hopefully a show that won't be cancelled before it's time. Uh, this is, uh, new, Ruth Negg is going to be a new show with Jake uh, Gyllenhaal. Yes. Pretty, is it pretty much certain Gyllenhaal's in it? Or, uh, he's in final negotiation, yeah. so I would imagine, but Ruth is 100% confirmed. This is going to Apple TV Plus and it's called Presumed Innocent. Uh, it is based on the book The Same Name that was out in 1987 and it actually was previously turned into a movie yeah. with Harrison Ford. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is in talks to play his role. The story basically follows so Ruth will be playing uh, Barbara uh, Bonnie Bedelia played Barbara in the movie uh, Barbara's an artist um, her life is upended when her husband Rusty is accused of murdering his mistress uh, Jake is in talks to play that role obviously uh, Barbara's fighting to keep her family intact as she tends to her broken heart and broken marriage and contends with her husband's highly publicised trial so that'll be interesting she's, okay. she's unreal so it'll be good to see her kind of Flex herself, and I don't think she's done much TV stuff. Bar no, no, really. And the uh, last big thing she did was passing. So yeah, and, and this is David e. e. Kelly, so it's kind of more of a glossy treatment of this story rather than it's going to be like, like yeah. a, Olivia Coleman job. Yeah, uh, um, and he actually has a, like his background is in law, so it'll be yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah, and Jake Gyllenhaal hasn't done that much TV. If I'm no, any not TV? really. We must have done something. Yeah, never make definitive statements. Yeah, on radio. no, sorry. It's, anyway, you, you, you yeah. Just, You've invited a slew of corrections. How dare you? You shouldn't be on the radio at all. Anyway, I'm intrigued. Uh, Apple TV Plus are dishing out the kind of, again, Blackbird is one that I haven't watched, but it's come up a lot in end of year, like best of 2022 list. And has gotten a lot of Golden Globe noms for limited series. So they're very... They're very much focusing on that glossy, only one and done kind of series. So okay, with so the, there with won't the exception be, yeah. of the likes of, you know, like Ted Lasso and stuff like that. Yeah, that seemed to be yeah. So yeah. that'll be interesting. And what was Blackbird about? Uh, Prisoners, I think it was one of Ray Liotta's one of the last roles, and Jermaine, oh right, okay, uh, Egerton. Yeah. Taron Egerton. Taron Egerton. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Now uh, Avatar two. Now Avatar d- is is was like the gri- highest grossest mo- movie of all time. Is that yes, correct? Yes, it was. And then one of the Marvels tipped it off, and then David Cameron was just like, "Right, I'm just going to keep re-releasing this until yeah. it eventually gets number one again." Which always like it boggles my mind that it's still number one. I thought it would have been pipped again, but yeah, basically it's now Avatar: The Way of Water, which is the second one. Uh, it's basically now in the top ten highest grossing movies of all time. So it's passed both top. Maverick and Fast and Furious 7 uh, and yeah so F- Furious 7 was the previous 10th placeholder because it made 1.5 billion dollars insane Top Gun was just behind it with 1.4 billion dollars um, so Wave Water has now accumulated 1.516 billion globally it's crazy money crazy. isn't it crazy no, and, and even no, not even like I haven't seen the film so I don't know if it's good bad or indifferent but I, but I kind of got the distinct impression that post pandemic that people just won't go into the cinema as much anymore and yeah. and you'd expect takings to be down just based on that I was surprised because I just felt like people I have seen it but I just felt like people weren't talking about it like either yes, you were going yeah. out of like pure intriguer because you did like it or yeah. like it wasn't one for casual moviegoers at all so I really I was shocked and I suppose again because there was so much riding on this like I think he's maybe David Cameron has said or someone has said it that um, James Cameron not David Cameron oh my god We'd like to point out that the former Tory Prime Minister did not direct uh, Avatar. Anyway, um, he has has kind of said that it needs 12% are right? Yeah, Yeah, you're not kidding. This is your fault, Dean. Um, They've kind of said that it would need to make this much money for the other. The third one is definitely happening. Like, the third Avatar is, like, done, signed, sealed, delivered. The fourth and fifth, I think, are in post-production or are still... filming so they're not, they weren't guaranteed depending on how this did so it looks like we are going to get 
the fourth and fifth oh, Avatar okay. films. Will anyone care at that point? I highly doubt it. But I also said that this one was, wasn't going to make any yeah. money. So there you go. Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. We'll go on to our second movie of the day. It is The Enforcer. Here's a clip. You want to tell me what we're doing here? You know, golf, it's about patience, timing. Keeping your cool. Obviously, you lack all of these qualities. Well, my money, not a golf lesson. Someone asked you where you were tonight. Hey. Golf. That's right. Now get the f out of here. There's no need for the potty mouth. Uh, that's the enforcer there, so we kind of get the gist of it there, I think, do we, Esther? Yeah, the gist of it is generic crime thriller, really. Um, mm. So it's, yeah, Antonio Banderas is, uh, he's got, the amount of stupid character names in this, starting with his, he's play, he's got a guy called Barracuda. Um, and he works for uh, this debt collector, and he's a debt collector, Mr. Fixit, for this um crime boss who's her name's Estelle played by Kate Bosworth who's like both maniacally scary and really hot um and she doesn't quite purr like a cat on her across her office but she does purr a lot of the lines so she's going full kind of crazy baddie in this and she runs a strip club and Barracuda is kind of provided with this new sidekick um, who's he's a fighter. He's a bare knuckle fighter, uh, an Australian actor by the name of Moji Neria, who's actually really good in this. Um, and he's kind of this ambitious guy fighting on the streets, blah, 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 who could use some cash. So he's kind of does clean up jobs with Barracuda. Um, but his tough guy thing is kind of tested because he's a daughter he's estranged from because he's an ex-con and, and he became estranged from his daughter during that time. Um, and when a girl by the name of Billy, she's a young teenager, she's in a lot of trouble um, and she becomes abducted. He She reminds him of his daughter. I mean, I don't know why they didn't just abduct his daughter. That would have been a better story down point in my view. But anyway, um, he's discovered she's been... Because um, they didn't want abducted. to totally rip off Taken, just just mostly rip <laughs> off know. Taken. I know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so she's abducted by a human trafficking ring. Guess what? His own boss, Estelle, is connected to it. So his loyalties are tested, Sean. Oh, no. And the stage is set for a blood-spattered showdown. And this one's quite violent, actually. The 16th cert is um, wow. deserved. Yeah. So, you know, we've seen this film before. Um, some of the lines are very cliched and some of them are downright daft. Like at one stage, he says, his ex-wife says, I know you're sick, but I'm not going to let your daughter be your medicine. Like, what is that? What does that even mean? And, I know. Yeah. So what it is, is kind of, it's a bit silly, but not silly enough to be funny. So yeah. I would say it's no Michael Flatley's Blackbird, let's just say. Oh, God. Is this um, now, is this in the cinema as well or, or is this on a stream or something? This is a cinema release. No, this is a cinema release from Crikey. today. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's grand. I don't know why 
Antonio Banderas is doing it. He's done some of the best work of his life in recent years. I can only imagine he needed an attic conversion or something and said, you know what, I need to pay for that. I'll take the check. Um, so it's just, it's all a bit silly. It's quite good looking. The filmmaker who shot it has a, a history of making commercials and music videos, which would be a lot of action directors way into filmmaking. It's quite common. Even with people like Michael Bay would have started out with that. So it's quite glossy and mm. kinetic and well shot. And, Maybe it's a guy um, who's doing his attic conversion uh, uh, directed. Maybe kind of that, two yeah. birds with the one stone. In the remaining minutes we have, uh, we've, uh, as you know, we, we, we drank a, a 12% stout earlier on. And now we're going to move on to, uh, it barely constitutes alcohol, really, a 10.5%. Dropping back to 10.5%. Yeah. Hardly, hardly worth mentioning the alcohol content again really complex beer um Ray of different sweet flavours in it. There's almond, mar- marzipan, malt honeycomb, uh, Malteser, candy sugar, uh, an amount of fruitiness. <laughs> look on Fanula's face. <laughs> and an unusual thing with this one, sometimes beers are described as perfumey. Right? Yeah. yeah. I think I prefer number one. Yeah, I, yeah. I, funny, yeah, that tastes more alcoholic than the first one. Yeah, yeah. Weirdly. Uh, thing with this one, it's kind of aftershavey. Uh, there's a kind Ew, of a, they aren't selling. <laughs> there's a there's a kind of a bergamot vanilla uh, musky type of aroma to it. Now I, I found this. This is uh, people ask me what's my favourite beer. This is one that I would put on my top 100 favourite beers, uh, which is an, okay, a which is a hard, yes. hard fought list, no doubt. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but not super done it. Uh, impressions of sambuca. Uh, so there's some kind of licorice aniseed, and uh, the alcohol kind of carries through. And then uh, with the fruit, you've got kind of dark figs, um, uh, prunes, macerates and alcohol, cherries, um, all of those types of flavours in it. Again, really, really complex beer, loads of different flavours, layered, uh, very, very sophisticated. And, and both of these, are, I should say, are uh, Golden Drac. Golden Drac, yeah, yes. that's uh, Flemish for uh, Golden Dragon. If you visit Ghent, ah, where okay. the um, brewery is, and, and yeah, uh, if, if you're kind of uh, uh, suffering from uh, Game of Thrones withdrawal, the, the glass, uh, these beers are available in a gift pack that was for sale over Christmas and they're available individually as bottles but the glass in the gift pack it's modelled on a dragon's egg uh, so oh, it's it's quite right, kind of cool. I it's got see a little, now. Yes, uh, uh, base to it. Okay, and the, the yeah. uh, golden dragon um, uh, emblem on the logo is uh, a statuette that's on the top of the cathedral in Ghent, uh, right up the top of the spar. All right. Uh, now I wish I didn't have to try and pronounce this name right at the end of the show, ha- having drunk it. <laughs> those two beers, Lucian Lavis Count. Yep. Uh, uh, got, phew, got through Woo! that one. All right. Uh, who the hell is he? Um, if you watch Emily in Paris. You know all about him. He's Alfie heartthrob, like it's very popular amongst people who are attracted to men. Um, he could potentially be okay. Huge among heterosexuals, right? He could, okay. he could potentially be the next Bond, Barney. He's in the running. He's caught the eye of the bosses from his performance on the show, and it kind of makes sense. I think we talked on the show a couple of weeks previous that they were looking for a Bond of a specific age, like thirty-ish, right. because okay. they want him to play through the next fifteen years. However, there are still questions around him because he is a reality TV show. Pad 
fast and apparently that doesn't really fly with some of the highbrow Bond people. He was on Celebrity Big Brother in 2011. He had like kind of a dalliance with Kerry Katona um, which shocked people to find out this week because he's obviously has this whole other life now as one of the main stars of Emily in Paris. So yeah, apparently he's in the running. Um, I'll believe when I see it. Em, uh, Emily in Paris and go, there's a Bond. Well, yeah, Does he do I'm anything like, vaguely Bondy but that's I'm just like, is he English and hot? Like, what else? That's it. That's basically yeah. the requirement. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. Then it's a shoe in. Then it could be anyone, really, uh, given all that. Right, uh, that's our lot for today. Uh, thanks, of course, to mm. Esther and Fanula and Dean. Movies and booze on Moncrief. On News Talk.